want to continue on. I want to pray first before I get in God's Word. I want to pray with you guys. As part of my prayer, um, I want to pray for a, a little boy that um, uh, him and his family had visited the brook uh, several times over, uh, I guess, at the end of last year. And uh, his na- little guy's name is Lucas, and uh, he's been very ill. Um, he's, been, he's been quite ill, actually fighting for his life. Um, he's born, he had leukemia early on. He thinks he's four years old or so. And then his heart started failing. He's been, he was in the hospital like seven, eight weeks. And, uh, and he was sent home last week. And we're just thanking God so much for it. And I want to bring him up because we've been praying for him because we know his family. Um, and, and we've gotten to know them. We pray for them almost every day. And uh, Levi, my little one, has been telling me, you've got to tell the church to pray for him. You've got to tell the church. And I've been forgetting to do it. And twice during our singing time, he's like, don't forget. I'm like, I won't forget, Levi. And we want to we wanna pray for little Lucas Sedecase um, and his family. God's been so faithful. Still got a journey ahead of him, but we just want to keep praying for him. And we know there are needs out there, others that we don't know about, um, some that you haven't expressed, some you have. And just want to hear that you, you didn't know, man, God hears you. He hears you when you pray. He hears you when you cry out. And, and sometimes the answer to our prayers don't look the way that we want them to, honestly. Um, but we can know that God hears them. And he is good and he is wise even when we don't understand. So uh, let's pray out to God here. And if you've got a prayer in your heart, feel free to lift it up to God as I pray. Father, we come before you, Lord, this morning. And Lord, we thank you, God, that you hear us. That right now these prayers are not hitting the ceiling in this building, God but they are coming to the very throne room of grace where the God of the universe who spoke the world into existence sits on his throne. And Lord, you are the God who's in control of all things. And we just thank you for all that you've done. Thank you for all the men and women, all the youth that are here in this room right now. God, I thank you, God, that there's no accidents in your timing. So thanks for bringing them here today, God. Uh, Lord, I pray you meet each of us. Lord, we all come with burdens, Lord. Um, We've all tasted of the bitterness of life. And some are right now sitting in that. And God, I pray you'd meet them in that space. Others, Lord, are celebrating victories, and we just want to celebrate with them. And God, we, uh, among the prayer requests, we want to lift up Lucas Sedicase. God, we pray for your healing on his life. God, we pray that you would restore and strengthen him, that you give faith and strength to his his dad, Joel, his mom, Elisa, and God, um, and his his siblings as well. Um, God, meet them in in their struggle. Um, and meet the others in our church family in their struggles, Lord. And we pray for your healing, God. We know that you are a healer. Lord, we know that you can do the impossible. Lord, we've seen you do the impossible. And we pray this, God, uh, asking for healing in this life and also knowing that in Jesus that there is a healing that yet awaits us eternally. And God, there will come a day when all who have put their faith in Jesus will stand in your presence. And in that place, God, there is no weeping. There is no suffering. There is no death. And we thank you for that. So we await that time until we come to you or until you come to us and bring us home. But Lord, in the meantime, God, may we be faithful and do meet us here as we open your word and give you all the glory for what you do in our lives. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning. My name is Eric. I'm the lead pastor here at the Brook, and uh, I just love to open God's word with you. I love our church family. You guys bring so much joy to Erica and my life and our children's lives. And so I just, I'm excited to open God's Word with you. You know, one of my burdens as a pastor is to 
give you a picture of God that is so big that, uh, that there's nothing that compares to him. I want you guys to see God as powerful, as majestic, as magnificent. I want you to see him so grand that you just are just uh, moved to worship him and to, to honor him, to love him, and to understand that everything in life happens under the hand of his sovereign power. In God's economy, there's no such thing as an accident, family. And I do want you to hear and understand that. Um, I think of the time when uh, I had a crush on a girl in high school, and uh, she came to sign up for a, a, a See You at the Pole Bible study, and I was, I was crushing on her pretty hard, to be honest. And in God's not-so-subtle uh, not so ways, my brother and two of his friends go to a Christian concert and, uh, and happen to meet, happens to meet this girl at this concert. Finds out she goes to the same high school as me, and he says, hey, do you know my brother? Praise God for my brother, looking out for his little one. Says, uh, yes, her, his name is Eric, and, and uh, this girl happens to have the name Erica. And so my brother happens to tell me that night, hey, I met this girl. Um, she says she knows you. And I'm like, I think I know who you're talking about because I've been, in my heart I'm, telling, I'm saying this, I wouldn't say this to my brother because I was too cool for that, you know. But like, I've been crushing hard on this girl. The next morning, during third period lunch, we're at Lane Tech High School, representing y'all out there. Man, come on. Come on now. <laughs> we went to Lane Tech High School. Any of y'all out there? Yeah. All right. And then, uh, you know, there's like 4,000 people in the school. So during lunch, there's probably about 600 people in the lunchroom. And who do I happen to bump into as I was walking into the lunchroom? And I was like, hey. No, I was actually quite shy, actually. Uh, she happened to go to the church that my brother ended up being a youth pastor at, and she happened to um, introduce herself to me, and we happened to end up going out, not going out. She became my girlfriend. We didn't go out for like a year, because um, we were like 15, you know? And then we got married. All this by a happening of my brother happening to go to this concert with this girl that I happened to be crushing on. I look back and say, that wasn't none of that. It was an accident. I know y'all got happening stories. Don't pretend like you don't. Those kind of stories where you're like, this thing, hap- this thing happened, but I don't know where that came from. Like a family that moved across the street from our house looking for a church, sees a sign on their front lawn, happened to drive by the building here and make the connection and be a part of the church family. And you know them as Lazaric and Lynette Franklin. Or the, the couple that we happened to meet on the t-ball field when we... Uh, when I was t- trying to be on mission, introduced myself to the guy, and he says, hey, are you the pastor at the Brook? And I was like, why do you know that for? He happened to be on the website the week before, and he happened to run into me. And Hal and Jenna happened to be at the Brook now, right? There are happenings that happen in our life that they, at face value, seem like a weird coincidence. You guys hearing me? But then we come in retrospect to find out that God's been dropping some holy hints some providentially so-called accidents, some sovereign coincidences. And what the Bible says, the but God moments of life. When everything seemed to be going one way, 
And then these things just drop in and lead you another way. And in retrospect, you realize it was God's hand. God's got a way of dropping hints, family. He's got a way of, of doing things that we don't realize he's doing a lot of times until after the fact. Last week, we started talking about this story in the Bible of a woman named Naomi who had a husband named Elimelech and their two sons, Malion and Kilion. And the four of them lived in a city called Bethlehem. And there was a famine that happened to go to Bethlehem. And this man and his wife happened to leave Bethlehem and go to a place called Moab. And that place called Moab, Elimelech happened to die. And then his sons happened to marry two women. One married a woman named Orpah, and the other one named a woman named Ruth. And then both those men happened to die. And there Naomi is left with her two daughters-in-law. And she tells them, you are free of your obligation to me. You can go back home to your family. And Orpah happens to go back home, while Ruth happens to cling to her mother-in-law, saying, your God will be my God. Your people will be my people. We see in this story some real bitterness that happens, some real hurt, some real grief, the kind of stuff that you guys are going through or have gone through or will go through, the kind of stuff in life that makes you just wonder, like, God, what are you doing? In fact, Naomi, it says in Ruth chapter 1, became embittered toward God. She says, I know God's in control, but essentially I don't believe he's been good to me. She's standing on the mountaintop, knowing that there's a panoramic view around her, but the foggy day is inhibiting her sight so much so that she's doubting the existence of the scenery. And there is Naomi in her grief. She goes back home to Bethlehem with Ruth who refuses to leave her side. Everybody sees her walking towards them, and they look at her and say, wow, you left with four. There was four of you. Now you're coming back. There's two of you, but the other three you originally left with aren't coming back. And Naomi looks at them. She says, don't call me Naomi, which means pleasant, but call me Mara, which means bitter. Basically, she's saying, these are the cards God has dealt with me. And what appears to be a lot of coincidental matters that happen in Naomi's life bring her to grief, we come to realize that God, even in the grief, is doing something. Now, as I mentioned last Sunday, family, I know that we can't always reconcile how that all fits together. I'll be the first one to lift my hand and say, I surrender, God. I don't understand. I don't understand how suffering works in your plan. I don't understand how your goodness works in the suffering. I don't understand it all, God. But I know to be true that you are sovereign, that you're in control, and that you're good, and that there are no accidents in your timing. And that's where we come today. We saw how Naomi tasted the flavor of God's bitterness But ultimately, the flavor of bitterness would lead to the flavor of redemption. So where the story ended last week, it picks up today, where Ruth and her mother-in-law, Naomi, are heading back to this place called Bethlehem. And we're going to see in chapter 2 that God's been dropping all kinds of hints to them. That God's been demonstrating his extraordinary kindness in the middle of their grief because he has an ultimate plan. And I just want to start with this, family. I want you to know that in your bitter, in the flavors you're experiencing in life, 
God still has a plan and wants to show you his kindness. So if you can, would you meet me in the book of Ruth chapter 2? Ruth chapter 2. It's early on in the Bible. And would you please stand with me as you get to that place in Scripture? Uh, I realize some of you might not have Bibles, and there is a Bible in the chair in front of you. It's a blue one. We'd love for you to take that home and keep it if you don't own a Bible. This is God's word for us. We're going to read from Ruth chapter 2 and see how this story of bitterness leading to redemption through God's extraordinary kindness unfolds. Ruth chapter 2. I'm going to actually back up and read verse 22 of chapter 1. And this is what God's word tells us. So Naomi returned and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, with her, who returned from the country of Moab. And they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. That's an important detail there we'll talk about. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech. That's the husband's name. And this relative, his name was Boaz. Can you say Boaz? Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him, in whose eyes I shall find favor. And she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to, can you say happened to? She happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. And then Boaz said to his young man, who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came, and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what what the young men have drawn. And then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me? since I am a foreigner. Verse 11. But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me. And how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done and a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then Ruth said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord. For you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. I'll pause there. This is God's word. You may be seated, fam. There's a lot of cultural things taking place here. You're kind of like, yeah, I'm not sure I'm picking up on this. And a lot of agricultural things taking place here. I'm from the city like probably most of you, if not all of us in this room are. So a lot of these terms and ideas fall a little bit on deaf ears. We're like, yeah, I don't know about a reaper. I don't know about barley harvest, all right? So we're, we're going we're gonna to get informed here on this to get understand what God is up to. 
You see, Naomi and Ruth come to Bethlehem in bitterness, in hurt and heartache. They've lost everything. All they've got is the two, is each other, and potentially a home to live in. We get that detail later on. They probably have a house that they're living in. And that's it. They've been stripped of everything. And we're told in chapter 1, verse 22, that they come to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. Now, barley was a kind of grain from which you picked from the field, and you could make wheat that is used for bread. In fact, in a story where Jesus turns the loaves and fish and multiplies them to feed 5,000 people, the five loaves of bread is said in John to be five loaves of barley bread. So this is what they use to, to bake bread and feed people. And so they come to Bethlehem when the beginning of the harvest is. And so basically this is how it works, fam, for all of us city folks. When the harvest, when, when you plant the grains in the ground and the, grain, the stalks grow, and when they come full grown, that's in the harvest season. And in this time in Israel, it's about April, March, April, the time we're in right now. And it goes until about June. It's about a six to eight week window. And during that time, the people walk through the fields and would pick the grain off, off the barley. And they would throw it into a basket, bring it to a place called the threshing floor. And at the right time, they would throw this wheat in the air and all the, the leaves, all the chaff would blow away and the seeds would fall to the ground. They'd collect that and they'd use that for bread and other things, for feeding their donkeys and horses. All right? So during this season, all the servants of someone who owns fields is working through the fields to pick the grain. You follow me still? Ruth and Naomi happen to go to Bethlehem during this time. And we're given this detail in chapter 2, verse 1, about a relative of Naomi. This is the narrator just saying, hey, by the way, Naomi's got a relative, a guy named Boaz, who was a, a family member of Naomi's husband who's now deceased. Just, just a, a parent, parenthetical remark there. And basically, then the story continues on. Because basically, we're about to get back to Boaz here in a moment. But we're told the details about Boaz. First, that he's a worthy man in chapter 2, verse 1, and that he was a relative of Naomi's. Two extremely important details. And then in verse 2, it says, Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. All right, two things I want to point out. It says, Ruth the Moabite. It refers to her ethnic background because it wants them to understand that she's not a Jewish people. She's not among God's people. She is a Moabite. The Moabite people were known to be the kind of people that caused God's people to fall away. Like they were like seductresses and and people who tempted God's people to fall. And so now Ruth is being identified as a Moabite as she's walking among God's people. She goes to her mother-in-law and says, hey, let me go and glean in the fields. Basically what she's doing is this. God's law provided for the poor and the hungry in this way. When the servants of a field owner would walk through the fields and pick grain, whatever grain they dropped on the ground, they were instructed to leave it on the ground. Whatever grain they missed and they, they passed it up an accident, they were instructed, don't turn back and pick it up. Leave it there. They were also instructed, don't pick grain to the edge of the field. Leave a little bit around the edges so that after you go through the fields, God basically says, then those who are without property, those who are poor and hungry, can walk through the fields, and that's how I'm going to take care of them. They can pick off the ground. They, have the, they, have, they can pick from the edges. They can pick whatever you left off. Basically, God's saying, that's how I'm taking care of the poor pretty dope, right? Ruth asks Naomi, hey, can I go and do that? Which tells us that Ruth and Naomi are poor. They got nothing. 
And Ruth says, can I go and glean, that's picking up, among the ears of grain, after him in whose sight I shall find favor. She's like, after whoever I find favor in their sight. Whatever I feel I happen to end up at, let me just grab grain there, and God willing, basically, I'll find favor in that person's sight, and they won't push me away. That's kind of what Ruth is saying. And Naomi says, all right, you can go and do that. We see something about Ruth's character here. Because actually, going after the field like this was a risky business, especially for a single woman. Because she was now vulnerable to those who might abuse a woman in the fields. And that was not uncommon. Someone who might be harsh toward a woman. But Ruth says, hey, i got to provide here for myself and my mother-in-law. And then she asks her mother-in-law for permission, just honoring her in her life. And Naomi says, all right, go ahead and do it. Verse 3, so she set out and went and gleaned in the fields after the reapers. And then she happened to, hear that? She happened to end up in guess whose field? A guy named Boaz, whom we found out earlier was a worthy man and a relative of Elimelech. Now these are extremely important details that I shared with you. Because God's law also had another provision. Not just for the poor, but for those who who, um, especially for women who have been widowed. And basically it was this. If a woman is married and her husband dies at a young age, then the family has a responsibility to provide for this woman. And the law even suggested that for the next, the next man in the family who is single, closest to that family, it is uh, encouraged for him to marry her and to bring her into his home and begin a family with her because if the deceased husband had not started a family yet. That's how God's law was provided. So now, Ruth shows up in this guy named Boaz's field who happens to be a relative of her former father-in-law. You see some things happening here? You see some coincidences taking place. She goes off into the field. For sake of time, I'm going to tell you this story rather than read this part. But basically, Boaz shows up in the field and he sees this young woman. And he basically starts asking, who is she? Who's this young woman here? And the guys who work in the field with Boaz, Boaz's field, basically tell him, hey, this is a woman named Ruth, and she's the one who came with Naomi back from Moab. And then he gives these details about her in verse 7. She said to me, he says, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and she continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Basically, we learned that Ruth... Um, basically asked for permission to go in the field as well, even though law allowed her to do it, because she's a woman of character, and she's a woman who's hardworking. And basically, these guys are telling uh, Boaz, this is what's taking place. Now, I just love seeing how the Scripture says here in, ver- in verse 3 that she happened to show up in Boaz's field. She happened to. That's the words it used. Literally, in Hebrew, she chanced to chance upon Boaz's field. It's, it's redundant to, to stress something here. Now, I want you to hear this. At this point, the Scripture is not teaching us theology. It's trying to help us feel what's taking place here. From Ruth's vantage point, this is all coincidence. What's going on? She shows up in a field that happens to belong to Boaz. And so often, we find this is true in life, that God drops things in that happen to work in a certain way that we don't understand, but God is doing something. Ruth doesn't know what's taking place. But God knows what's taking place. And there's something bigger than chance taking place here. There's something bigger than coincidence taking place here. 
God is at work. And so that's how Boaz comes on the scene. He's clearly moved by this, and he tells her in verse 8, he says, now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field. Basically, he's saying, he's like, hey, you can stick to this field as long as you want. And he goes on to tell her, but keep close to my young women because they're their safety. He says, let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? He's protecting her. We're seeing something about Boaz's character here. We're seeing something about this man who's looking out for a woman who is needy among him, a woman who is vulnerable among him. He's found out that she's young, that she's a widow, and that she's a Moabite. But he's also found out she's thoughtful and dedicated to her mother-in-law and a hard worker. And for Boaz, that's enough for him to take notice of her. As the story unfolds, we see something about his character. We're told he's a worthy man. As I think about this, I think about, man, this is, these are qualities of manhood that, that all of us men in this room need to gravitate toward. All right, fellas? I love what it says about Boaz. It says, first of all, that he's extravagant in his kindness. He basically says, hey, you can stay in this field. I'm going to tell the guys not to touch you. I'm going to tell the people not to harm you. You can drink water that they get from the wells, and you can get the food that you need. He's extravagant in his kindness. Long before Selena Gomez talked about killing him with kindness, Boaz was practicing it. All right, guys? This is how, this is how uh, Boaz was. He was the kind of man that looked for ways to show kindness to other people. He protects her. She's vulnerable in the fields. If you ever travel to a foreign city, especially in a place where they don't speak English, you feel extremely vulnerable. I remember the first time Erica and I traveled to Uruguay in South America. We had a layover in Sao Paulo, Brazil, and stepping out of that plane, everything was in Portuguese. And I started wondering, like, oh, snap, people, like, they don't, they don't speak English here. And you have this sense of vulnerability. Uh, there was a time we were, uh, me and a friend of mine, we were in Morocco on a layover. Super vulnerable because no one spoke English. And this one dude I met spoke, uh, spoke French. And I'm like, hey, Spanish is close to French. I'm going to try to speak Spanish to him with my jacked up. Like, we couldn't communicate. You feel vulnerable. And so here Boaz sees her and protects her, giving his, his young men in charge there the warning hey, leave her alone. Don't harass her. He provides for her. Look in verse 15 and 16. I love this passage so much. He says this. It says, When she arose to glean among the fields, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her, and also pull out some from the bundles for her, and leave it for her to glean, and do not rebuke her. What Boaz is saying here is, when you start pulling out the grains, drop some on the ground on purpose so Ruth can have more than enough to eat. Here's a guy who's a provider. He treats her with dignity. This is a not-so-random act of kindness because it's ingrained in his identity. Regardless of her social, her ethnic, and economic situation, he says she's made in the image of God. And then we see he values her character as well, her hard-working personality. Sometimes we hear stories of this, we're like, man, I don't like this guy already. He's showing me up, right? But really, these kind of pictures are in the Bible for us to say, man, that's, that's what kindness is. That, that's a picture of God's kindness at work through us. And I love it. Ruth catches up on it. 
I mean, she, she's there. She's like, okay, why are you so kind to me? Look what she asks him there in verse 10. She fell on the, her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? And he tells her in verse 11, all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me. Boaz is like, man, I heard about you, Ruth. I heard about how, how kind you were. I heard about how you left your people to come follow your mother-in-law's God. And I love how he says it here in verse 12, the Lord repay you for what you've done and a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Boaz sees this, family. I want you to hear this. This is important. He sees Ruth step out in faith to follow her God and Boaz then feels an obligation to be an extension of God's provision to Ruth. I don't know if you heard me there because I only heard one amen. All right, let, me, let me say this again. Boaz sees Ruth step out in faith. And he knows that God provides for people when they step out in faith. But Boaz isn't waiting for someone else to provide for her. He takes her to himself and says, I'm going to take care of you, not as an act of just Boaz, but as an extension of the God whose wing you're seeking refuge under. All right, that's better. This, this is what God is calling us to do. This is extraordinary kindness. This is stepping out and seeing people around us who are hurting, who are, who are needy, who are struggling and say, I'm not going to wait for someone else, but I'm going to step in as an extension of God. If they're going to trust in God, I'm going to say, God, I want you to use me to be the fulfillment of your promise to them. And I'm not ready to take all the credit for that, God. It's you. And Boaz says, it's under God's wing you come to seek refuge. Not, not under my, I'm, not, I'm not just here providing. It's God providing for you through me, but it's God. Boaz loves that about Ruth. And some of you are like, man, I see what you're doing, Boaz. He's like, I see what you're doing here. She's single. You're single. Go ahead, Bobo. Right? I see what you're doing. Honestly, we, we don't know if, like, if, if Boaz is working a mojo here. But he knows the details she doesn't know. He knows he's related to her father-in-law. She doesn't know that. In fact, not even Naomi knows Ruth is at this field right now. Naomi's at home. She told her to go in the morning. She doesn't know where she went, ended up at. She just happened to show up at Boaz's field. And Boaz was there and happened to be a man who is killing it with kindness. I just want to point out something here, man. What I love about Boaz as a single man, he clearly, Ruth catches his eye because of her character. Because of her devotion to her mother-in-law and her devotion to God. Nothing said of Ruth's physical appearance here. Nothing is said of Boaz's attraction to her. But all we are told as Boaz sees character and sees faith and he's drawn to that. Fellas, we, we've got to be the kind of men, especially single men, be the kind of man who is drawn towards character and godliness. Godliness, my brother, is of greater value. As Proverbs 31 tells us, charm is deceitful 
and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. And I love how Boaz puts it into action. I think sometimes I see single guys will be like, yeah, I agree with that. But through their actions, they contradict what they're verbalizing. And that's actually quite hurtful to a sister who's really trying to grow and follow the Lord, saying, hey, I know that beauty is vain, that charm is deceitful. I want to honor the Lord. But what do I do when all the guys who say they like that don't pursue that? And to my sisters, I say, that do is not for you. You keep honoring the Lord and put him first. And if it's in God's providence for you to marry someday, he will bring that right guy in his happenings, okay? More on that next week. But here, Ruth is gleaning from the fields. Boaz tells his guys to happen to drop stuff on the floor for her to pick up on. I just love how kind that is. Verse 17, so she gleaned in the fields until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley, which means 22 liters or so. She was working hard, family. So not only did she get the grain, then she had to beat it out, you know, separating the chaff of the leaves from the actual grain, put that thing on her back, and walk back home to Naomi's house. During this time, I skipped over the part where Boaz brings her in to have a meal with them. And he feeds her plenty so that she is satisfied and has leftovers. And what does she do with the leftovers? Ruth, a woman of character, takes them home. And what does she do? She gives them to Naomi. Verse 18, she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said, where did you glean today? I heard her, like, Naomi's probably like, I did not expect you to come back like this. Like 22 liters of grain and leftover food from lunch? Are you kidding me? She's like, where were you today? And then she says, blessed be the man who took notice of you. She's like, there had to be a dude here who saw you. There had to be someone who noticed. <laughs> so she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked. And she said, oh, the man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi is like, says to her daughter-in-law, she's like, may he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, the man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. What, Ruth, what Naomi is basically saying here, Ruth, you don't understand. You happen to end up in the field of a man who's almost next in line to marry you if indeed that were to take place. Now, culturally speaking, this is how God provides for those who are needy and struggling. I know in our ears we're like, that sounds weird, yo, but, that, but that's how God did. God's like, I'm going to provide for those. And so Naomi's like, she's, man, she's, she's crossing everything here. She's not dropping him. She's like straightforward. This dude's a redeemer. This dude's the guy who's next in line. And then Ruth's like, and he said, besides, in verse 21, besides, he said to me, you shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. Basically, Boaz is like, don't just leave today, but keep coming back for the next six to eight weeks while harvest is here. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley, 
wheat harvest, and she lived with her mother-in-law. Man, we see what God is doing here. We see how God is stepping up in the bitter. Notice how Naomi's language has changed some. Remember she said at the end of the last chapter, I left full, I've come back empty. Don't call me pleasant, call me bitter. And now she's like, Ruth, this guy's one of the redeemers. It's like in the bitter, God is meeting Naomi. He's like, don't you think I said I'd take care of you? Don't you know that I am a God in whom you can find refuge? Don't you know that I'm a God who's got a wing big enough to bring you underneath it? There is a God who knows how to redeem and care for us, even when the flavor we're tasting is bitter. As we see this story unfold, we're starting to see some beauty come up. It's like walking in a botanical garden. You're already seeing this. As as the sun is coming out, as spring is coming through, the, the flowers are starting to peek through, the tulips are starting to peek through the ground. You see that happening already. If you were to go to Chicago Botanical Gardens just north of here in about a month or two, you're going to see an array of flowers, the most beautiful of them all, just there on display, different and vibrant colors. And what you're going to see in this story is flowers beginning to bloom. Maybe you look around in people's lives and you see that there's flowers around and you look at your own life saying, man, all I still see is the dirt. Or as Jerome Gay says, beneath every flower there is dirt. And that dirt is the bitter sometimes of our lives. That dirt is, is that place of struggle, the things that sometimes we wish weren't a part of our story. Choices we made, things that have been done to us, our upbringing, our heartaches, and that's like the dirt we see. But I want you to know that God has a way of bringing good things out of dirt, family. God made Adam from dirt, and from Adam comes Eve. These are good things. Jesus spits in the dirt and rubs out of a man's eyes to heal him from his lack of vision. God knows how to bring good things out of dirt, family. He knows how to bring things from death into light. Beauty from dirt. Beauty from bitter. He knows how to produce the flavor of redemption. Last week I saw an article in the Washington Post. And it was titled, Americans are the unhappiest they've ever been. The article points out a number of things. It says, cell phone usage among adolescents in particular is creating unhappiness. It says that the hope in the stock market and economic health is not delivering on the hope it seems to promise. And one quote says, by most accounts, Americans should be happier now than ever. Should be. The reason this article thinks that is because we've got everything we need. But as I can't help but see, the truth is these things don't deal with dirt. These things can't meet us in our bitter. In fact, some of the things that promise life only deliver bitter. And what we find ourselves is becoming more and more dissatisfied with our lives and more and more unhappy. But family, there is an answer to that. And his name is Jesus. He knows how to bring the flowers from the dirt. He knows how to meet you in the struggle. 
Psalm 63 verse 7 says, For you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I sing for joy. The same wing that Ruth sought refuge under is the wing that God calls you to come under. And that's God's wing, his care. It's an image of a bird, of an eagle, putting the, the eggs or its, its young under its wing in protection through the storm. That's what God does, and his wing is big enough to cover you and your struggle. Psalm 17 says, keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me in the shadow of your wings. Psalm 91.4, he will cover you with pinions, and under his wings you will find refuge. You don't believe me that God offers that to you? Jesus, fast forward into Luke 13, looks over the city of Jerusalem, standing probably on the Mount of Olives, overseeing this beautiful city, and he cries out, O Jerusalem, O Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children under as a hen gathers her brood under her wings? Jesus is like, I came to bring you under my wings and you reject me. Micah 4.2 said that God comes with healing in his wings. God is a God who is a refuge when he spreads out his wings. When Eric and I were in Israel, we heard a beautiful telling of the story in Mark 5 where there is the bleeding woman who was needy and destitute just like Ruth was. She was a woman who had been bleeding for over 10 years uncontrollably. Sought all kind of medical help. Nothing happened. She spent her life savings trying to find help in her bitter. When Jesus comes on the scene, And it says that she stretches out her hand to touch the end of his garment. And in the Hebrew tradition, the rabbis wore this garment with tassels at the end of it. And those tassels were often called the wings of the garment. And here this woman touches the wings of Jesus and immediately is healed. And this is what Jesus comes to bring to us. It is under his wing that he was pierced on a cross and blood and water flows taking the punishment you and I deserve to extend forgiveness for all our sin and offer us a new life. This is the God we serve, family, who is a refuge to us who need a shelter. There's no accidents in God's providence. There are all kinds of holy hints, providential displays of so-called accidents. Is God at work to draw you to himself Is God at work to extend hope and to take the dirt and bring life. But it all begins through faith in Jesus. Family, I just want you to know, if you have yet to put your faith in Jesus, I pray you would do it today. Our sin is ever before us, our failures. What God says, come to me. Confess your sin. Say, God, I need you. Would you forgive me? And what God does in that moment, he says, I forgive you when you believe that Jesus died for you and you turn from your sin. And he rose from the dead. That's the offer he offers to you. God is a God who also extends extraordinary kindness to all of us in our time of need. Praise God for his goodness. Well, I want to pray, fam, and we're going to transition on to the next part so we get ready to close our service, but by no means not last and least, but continuing on into the climax of testifying to how God has met people in the midst of struggle. All right? Would you bow with me in prayer?
Father in heaven, I thank you, Lord, for how good you are to us. I thank you for uh, the story of Ruth. And Father, how in the midst of her greatest hurts and heartache, God, you said, I'm not done. For that brother or sister here today, Lord, who maybe feels that life is done, maybe they just don't know where to go, all they see is dirt and bitter, God, remind them, Lord, that you are the God who brings flavors together to produce something beautiful. And may they believe you, Lord, and come to you and trust you. I pray in the name of Jesus.